there, there will be concerns that that uh, does set a precedent and a damaging precedent, which at the very least would cost the public purse more than it might otherwise. archaeologist and investigative journalist Andy Brockman, and I'm Fiona Potney. Welcome to the Bailiwick Express podcast. Ten years ago, in a field in Grooville, a record-breaking 2,000-year-old discovery was made. Metal detectorists Reg Mead and Richard Mars came across the world's largest coin hoard, which became known as Lacation II. What followed was a painstaking process conducted by a local conservation team to carefully unpick one by one the clump to find out exactly what was there. After years of work, their battle to safely extract each element revealed a total of 70,000 Celtic coins, Europe's largest collection of torque neck rings, a fabric bag full of gold and silver jewellery, and even flora and fauna from the time, including millipedes and centipedes. But alongside and following that work, there was another battle underway, one to determine the value of the find and how much the finders should be rewarded. In the UK, a specific law governs the process for deciding this, but in Jersey there is no law, so it was decided that the spirit of England's process should be followed. That meant asking a British museum-based team of experts called the Treasury Valuation Committee. They came to a value of £2 million. However, the government announced last month that it was going to be paying more than double this, something it later emerged was against the recommendations of Jersey Heritage and senior civil servants. This was because two challenges had been made to the TVC's valuation. One, by UK ancient coin dealer Chris Rudd, said it was worth £6.1 CGB Numismatique, based in Paris, later agreed. The result was ministers deciding to split the difference and pay out £4.5 instead. For many, December's announcement was the end of a long-running and sorry saga that had seen the owner of the field in which the coins were found pass away in the process before he could receive any cut of a reward. But for Jersey Heritage, who will ultimately look after the coins with the help of a 250k cut from the payment, it marked a precedent being set. A precedent of inflated valuations that could limit the island's ability to buy and protect significant fines for public benefit in future. And it's not just a local problem – Andy Brockman, an archaeologist, researcher and investigative journalist who has worked on numerous TV productions, has been watching the saga from the UK and fears the effects could ripple across the water. He described the decision as explosive in a blog posted after the payment announcement and went on to say, The fear is that the island once infamous for facilitating the kind of casino banking which helped bring about the financial crash of 2008 may now have invented casino metal detecting, where the finders of treasure can bet on finding a friendly coin or antiquities dealer to say the government, acting on behalf of all of us in the public interest and to protect the public purse, got the price wrong by several zeros. Strong words indeed. I caught up with him earlier this week and started by asking what the current legal rules around fines are in the UK. In England, I'm talking particularly about England, there are slightly different regimes in the constituent parts and the British Isles. But So, talking about England in particular, it, it is... Um, run under the strictures of the Treasure Act 1996, which uh, came about because there was a a recognition that the old law of treasure trove wasn't working in modern times, and particularly with the increased number of fines that came about to things like metal detecting. So under the Treasure Act 96, 
if you're a metal detectorist and you find something while you're out metal detecting that qualifies under the Act as a hoard, um, which can uh, be a group of material or something with a co- with a precious metal content, effectively, um, you have to declare it. That's a legal requirement. Um, it, you declare it to the local coroner. Um, and if you choose to, you can also declare it to the Portable Antiquities Scheme, um, which is a voluntary scheme for recording fines that are made by members of the public, not just metal detectorists, but it's primarily metal detectorists. Once, the, once your find has been declared, um, the find is studied, um, dated, authenticated, and valued by the Treasure Valuation Committee. And that's a separate committee that is facilitated by the British Museum. It's not actually part of the Portable Antiquities Scheme, although archaeologists working for the scheme do work on reports. Um, when the report is in and the Treasure Valuation Committee's recommendation for a value is in, uh, the um, the upshot is that the uh, the find can either be returned to the finder or is bought on behalf of the public. If it's bought on behalf of the public, that's where the, the TVC find finds value kicks in, and the find is split. Uh, the, the 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 money is split fifty fifty between the landowner and the finder. And so originally, uh, Jersey went to the TVC to uh, get an insight into how much this finding might be worth. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, the committee, uh, you know, how they're regarded and, and the type of individuals that form part of it? Well, the, the committee, and then you can find reports of the Treasury Valuation Committee on the British Museum website, I think it is. They, they, they do publish um, information about how they come about their finance. But basically, it, it's, a, it's a group of experts um, who come from a combination of the archaeological world um, and from the uh, auction world, um, the, 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 um, you know, the, the uh, commercial antiquities world. Um, and they balance historical value and financial value and come up with what they regard as fair valuation, which is then put forward to the committee overall as a recommendation and um, to, obviously to the, um, to, to, to the finder. And generally, are those valuations accepted? Are there ever challenges? By and large, in England, the TBC's recommendations are accepted. Now, there's often um, sort of huffing and puffing from some finders who say that, you know, if I'd gone to a commercial auction house, I would have got a higher value. Um, but by and large, the values stand. It's, it, 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 the, the committees, will let, um, it, certainly in the archaeological world, um, it's, it's, it's expertise and its objectivity are, broadly speaking, accepted. So perhaps less so, certainly in parts of the metal detecting world. So as a result of that, was it, was it a surprise um, to the archaeological and kind of detectorist community that uh, Jersey had looked at two other separate valuations which ended up coming up significantly higher than that of the committee? Yeah, now obviously the, under, the, uh, under the rules that operate in, in England, it, it, you know, um, a, a finder is absolutely at liberty to submit a separate report. Uh, but then the committee adjudicates on on on, the, on that and, and may or may not adjust its own valuation. But by, by and large, the 
the valuations are accepted. Um, what happened on Jersey in December, I think, came as something as a surprise, and particularly that the TVC's valuation was overshot by so much by the commercial valuations, and the fact that the government, which is dealing with obviously taxpayers' money, public money, accepted a valuation that was twice what they had originally been uh, had been suggested that the, the, the find um, was. I won't say worth because it's you know, historical worth. It, it's priceless, um, but, but uh, it's twice what the fair value that the TBC recommended is. So, w- with that in mind, could this have any implications in the UK? Obviously, you said it's quite unusual that there would be uh, such a challenge to their mm. valuation. What might that mean for the TVC or for um, those who go about detecting in future? I think it's too early to say because obviously we're dealing with something that only happened a few weeks ago and um, it will take some time. The, the implications, the ripples, will take some time to work their way through the system. Um, I would imagine that the members of the TVC and the uh, the British Museum, the Portland Antiquities Scheme, and the Department of Culture, Media and Sports, um, who deal with this in, in England, um, are are having the conversations perhaps as, you know, in the same way that we are and, 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 and discussing the implications. But I think it, what, what it is fair to say is that um, talking to colleagues in the archaeology world, um, there is a concern that having the TVC's valuation not just challenged successfully, but challenged successfully um the valuations that were, well, I mean, the worst, you know, the, the, the highest valuation was three times what was originally suggested by the TBC. In fact, the government of Jersey rode back from that and, and settled for something that's round about twice what was originally suggested. Um, but that, it certainly sets the precedent. It sets a precedent for challenging the valuations. It sets a precedent for the amount by which a challenge might be successful. You know, you, you, uh, you, you overshoot the original by you know 100. Um, percent There will be concerns that that uh, does set a precedent and a damaging precedent, which at the very least would cost the public purse more than it might otherwise. And is the the kind of main risk? Is it all about the public purse, or are there any wider implications of such inflated valuations? Could it? damage the ability to uh, for the public to be able to recuperate these fines and, and you know put them on display for example so that they can be enjoyed by more people yeah yeah but, you know, the higher a a, a a find like the cartoon two is valued the more difficult it becomes for a local museum in particular um to actually raise the money to match a valuation, a commercial valuation. Um, and so that, that that's one danger. Um, there's a second danger, which is um, it promotes a kind of, uh, for want of a better phrase, casino metal detecting, where somebody goes out and for a few hundred pounds, buys a metal detector, gets a permission, or worse, goes out without permission and detects illegally. Um and you know, in the hope, expectation, um, even if it's you know, 
statistically it's unlikely, but goes out in the hope of finding, you know, a Lakotio of their own, a, 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 you know, a, 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 a Staffordshire horde of their own. And, you know, and that's a six-figure or seven-figure payday. And are there any further risks to casino metal detecting, as you put it? You know, for example, if someone is motivated by financial gain, is there a worry that they might be less concerned about how well they extract whatever their find is and, you know, there could be damage inflicted in the process? That's already happening. Um, There's a whole subculture on YouTube, for example, on videos of people digging up their finds, including digging up hoards. Um, The... And to be fair to the two detectives who found the, the find on Jersey, uh, they did declare it early, and it was it was excavated professionally. And um, you know, in, in in that sense, it was textbook. It, it was how the portable antiquity scheme asks uh, metal detector detectorists in England to work. It's if you think if you, the moment you suspect you've got a hoard, you're asked to declare it so the professionals can come in and, and excavate the uh, you know. Get the ma- ma- maximise the archaeological information. Find the you know the the, the, um, the remains of the plants, the remains of the insects, to tell you what time of year it was buried. Um, but to do that, you have to do that forensically. Um, and, and and you know the, the risk is that um, you know that a culture develops whereby it's you know you find it, you rip it out quickly, you put the video on YouTube, and then you declare it. Um, so it, it, it's. Um, you know, doing it properly, doing it by the book, doesn't affect your rights as a finder. So, you know, all it is, it, it's the sort of the immediate gratification of ripping the stuff out of the ground is, is the only thing that will be lost if, you know, uh, if people actually just stop for a moment. And as I say, to be fair to them, that's the, what the, the two gentlemen on Jersey, Jersey did. And, and in, 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 in that respect, it, it, if you're going to have if you're going to allow private metal detecting, that's how it should be done. Absolutely. And just reflecting on the theme of um, casino metal detecting, do you think that fines mm. like Lacation and the result um, that we've had with this very extreme valuation, could that spur on more individuals to uh, do this? And maybe even, you know, there's been discussions of, could it, could it be something that's a draw for tourists, for example? Well, obviously, if you find... Uh, on, 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 in England, probably the, probably the most famous find of recent years is the Staffordshire Hall. And that has been used in local museums uh, as, a, as a significant part, a specifically promoted part of the, of the tourist offer. Um, and, and that's where the, you know, these finds, you know, if, if, if they're found declared, properly excavated, professionally presented and so on, they can be a huge bonus to the, to the local community. Um, so, you know, in, in, again, in, in that respect, it, it, it's a, it's a positive. The, the, the worry is that the high profile, particularly given to the valuation of things like this, um, promotes the idea that first of all, that these finds are easy to find and they're not, you know, the, 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 most detectorists in their entire adult lives won't come across an order like that, statistically. Um, but the, but the, the, the impression that they might can lead to um, damage, damage to archaeological sites, corners being cut, and at worst, um, metal detecting being done illegally. 
The, what of the government's uh, reasons in Jersey for giving uh, such a high valuation? So they said that um, if one of these fines had been taken to the commercial market, um, it, you know, mm. it could have been split up or it could have re- received very, you know, high offers from individuals, whether it was sold on eBay or through dealers or whatever. You know, what, what, mm. what did you make of that rationale? It's, it's a very interesting point that they make there. It's... Um, in a sense, it's almost giving up actually on the on the wider argument. They always, oh, you know, if we don't, you know, it, put it this way: in archaeological terms, it would be absolutely unacceptable to break up a find like the Cotillon, Um, because the value of it is not financial. The value of it is in the objects in toto being able to be seen and studied as a totality. That said, one of the things we're seeing in the uh, in England is that auction houses are engaging specifically with metal detectors, sometimes even before they actually get to the portable antiquities scheme, and saying basically, if you find a Roman coin or, or an Iron Age horse mount or whatever, we can sell it for you, we can maximize the amount that you will get for it. Um, in, in some cases, this can be done. Uh, even without reference to the landowner, who under the Postal Antiquity Scheme is a 50-50 split. Under a lot of metal detecting terms of reference, farmers give permission to the field, but they sign away the, the rights to objects under a certain value, so, you know, sometimes in, in, into the hundreds of pounds, sometimes, sometimes even more. So it's just money in the pocket of a metal detectorist. So yeah, it's a trend that we've been seeing over the last few years. And I think, again, a lot of archaeologists are concerned about it. There was a, there was a case recently of a, uh, an Iron Age horse mount of the same period, in fact, uh, as the Jersey Hall, um, that was sold in a commercial auction house um, for a high, fi- um, high, high fi- uh, I think it's a six-figure sum in the end. Uh, sorry, five, five, five-figure sum, sorry, a high five-figure sum, which almost wasn't reported to PAS. It was actually spotted by a curator at the British Museum in, a ca- in an auction catalogue, and they chased it up. That's one of the concerns that the archaeological world has about situations like this, where finds appear to be put into the public domain in terms of their financial value rather than their historical value. Obviously, this situation in Jersey arose um, in slightly unusual circumstances that the island doesn't have a, a full, thorough law to govern exactly how these processes should work. And I know that Jersey Heritage for about a decade now have been calling for one to be drawn up. What's been looked at um, in this instance, we followed the spirits of the UK law, but I understand it's currently um, under consultation for, for some updates. So would you be able to tell us a bit about what elements are being discussed and whether or not it would be wise for Jersey to just take from the UK uh, law at this stage, or English law rather? The basic uh, point is that the Treasury Act 1996 was a perhaps awkward legal and bureaucratic compromise between metal detectorists and the rights of landowners to effectively what's their property. Unless it's treasure under the Treasure Act, an archaeological find on somebody's land is their property. Um, And archaeologists who, as a point of professional ethics, by and large, don't, won't, often will get offended if you um, talk about something in financial terms. Archaeological treasure is, is in historical value, not in financial value. So I think most archaeologists would say that 
first of all, whatever system you put in place, the historical value has to come first, the value to the community, the potential value, you know, to, to a community as part of its tourist offer, for example, or its offer you know, as part of its sense of history and place. To, to, archaeolo- to, to most archaeologists, those things far outweigh any financial value that anything might have. Many archaeologists would say, actually, private metal detecting should be illegal. That's the case in the Republic of Ireland, for example. It's illegal in the Republic of Ireland to metal detect for archaeological objects. On the other hand, people in England would say, well, actually, under English law, it's a perfectly legal hobby, um, so long as it's you know, people don't metal detect on you know, a scheduled archaeological site, so a special archaeological interest, or whatever the local you know, legal definition is. Um, I think above, or, you know, in the end, if you're going to allow legal metal detecting, it has to be, well, in it, first, wait and see what happens in England as, as well. Don't, operate, don't, don't, don't just adopt the 96 Act. Uh, without waiting to see what happens to the current consultation, because at the moment uh, the, the British government, the UK government, is uh, consulting on an update to the Act, which removes the idea that treasure has to be connected with precious metal. It introduces, if adopted, it would introduce a new definition where a treasure is judged on historical value. Um, you know, so, um, for example, in the recent past, as I said earlier, we, we had a um, a horse mount, a Celtic horse mount, uh, which was sold privately through a, an auction house um, for, I think, as I say, for a, a high, high figure sum, um, but didn't come under the Treasure Act. What, it wasn't compulsory to report it. It was only spotted because the curator of the British Museum saw the catalogue entry. Um, that's the kind of thing you need to avoid at all costs, I think. If, 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 if the island's heritage is going to mean anything at all, uh, you have to have a system whereby you catch everything of significance. Thank you, Andy. Express will be continuing to dig into the implications of the Lacation 2 coin hoard payments, and you'll be able to find all the latest updates on bailiwickexpress.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do share it on Facebook, Twitter, or your preferred social feed. The title track was I Shift My Weight by Luno. More next week from me, Fiona Potney, and the Bailiwick Express team. <laughs>